Life Audio. Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we tackle our most pervasive fears with truth. Because life is too short for any of us to live enslaved. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you've probably recognized my passion for grace-based living. I am convinced that is how we best conquer our anxieties and our fears and live in the victory and the purpose to which Christ calls us. And I also know for many of you, your greatest battle involves your time spent at work. Maybe you sense God calling you to reach out to a colleague or to take a stand in some way for your faith, but you're worried you'll offend people, you'll cause harm to your relationships, you'll appear maybe fanatical or maybe even lose your job. Well, if that's you, then I believe you'll find great value in this episode. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Tim Kimmel, co-author of Grace at Work, The Secret of Getting More from Your Job Than a Paycheck. Dr. Campbell, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm just grateful to be here with you, Jennifer, and for your audience. Thanks for letting me be here. So Dr. Kimmel has devoted his adult career to showing people how to bring the best out of the ones they love most. He loves to help marriages thrive, parents launch kids with a smile on their faces, churches truly represent God's heart, and businesses become places where their employees love to work. He's spoken worldwide, and he is an award-winning, best-selling author. Tim holds an undergraduate degree from Bryan College, a master's degree from Dallas Seminary, and a doctorate from Western Seminary. He prefers boots to shoes, pickups to cars, and hitting golf balls every once in a while. My husband really liked getting along with you. (laughs) And Tim and his wife, Darcy, they have four married children, and they have some grandchildren as well. Tim is the executive director of Grace Based Families, a ministry based in Scottsdale, Arizona. Well, Tim, I read your book last week, and I loved your focus on bringing God's light to the place where really People spend a large portion of yes. their time. And, and in your book, you discussed how different our interactions are at work versus our other relationships. Can you elaborate on that? Well, what's interesting about work is that it has something in common 
with home. And it, and then that the only thing they have in common is that we have to work with the people that are there. We're stuck with them. You know, when it comes to our friendships, we we actually have the option to unfriend somebody if it gets bad enough. But when it comes to our, our churches, so, you know, we, we want to have unity and all. But if somebody goes sideways or goes rogue on this bad enough, we can pick our Bible up and go to another church. But for the most part, we have to work with the people that have been hired by the company. And work represents probably one of the biggest melting pots of socioeconomic backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, age, experiences, everything else. And so we all come to work with issues and we have to work together. So, yeah, it's, it, it, it's a it's a great place to practice our faith, but it's also it's also one of the places that can bring a lot of anxiety to us and steal a lot of joy just because Absolutely. the kind of people we're stuck to work with. Yeah. Yeah. That's really challenging. Well, before we get too far into our discussion, would you maybe define when you speak about grace? So mm-hmm. what are what are you talking about? Yeah. Well, grace has given somebody something they desperately need but don't necessarily deserve. That's what God did for you and me when he sent his son to the cross to take blame that wasn't his, to take shame that wasn't his, and to give us something that we desperately needed, uh, forgiveness that we don't deserve, and then to add to it a relationship with him that leads to eternal life Mm. that can really help us as we move on through life with all the junk and fears and intimidation that's waiting out there. Wow. Well, I found one statement particularly thought-provoking. So you wrote, quote, we followers of Jesus have a chance to rewrite a poorly written narrative by some well-intended but misguided Christians over the last several decades. And that was a really powerful statement. So maybe kind of explain what you mean by that. And then also, how can that realization, that perspective, how can that transform really our interactions and our our mental health, everything? Well, I think I think that the, the prevailing message that was coming across from pulpits and even books when it comes to the Christian's role at work is that we need to see it as a mission field, that we're there to represent Jesus and tell people about Jesus and lead people to Christ and invite them to church and all that stuff. Well, the problem is that's not what we're being paid to come to work for. And that can actually be not only a liability to our job and to the culture of our, our work, but that can also be a liability to us representing Jesus. The main Jesus made it clear what our job is. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When you think of the first and second century church, It's interesting. That's when the church actually grew the fastest. I mean, it was starting from zero and it went like 120 miles an hour like that. And it stayed there for those first two centuries. But what's interesting is they didn't have any Bible back then. They didn't even have, you know, physical churches that you go to. That didn't come more into place until like the third century. So what was it that was driving the growth of the church? And it was that that, that's transforming impact of the gospel on people that were utterly screwed up, wrapped up in paganism and hedonism and and idol worship. And they worshiped sex and they worshiped, you know, the, the, the vicious. There was no kindness extended by nature. Women had no rights. Most, more people were slaves. All that stuff. Suddenly, in the middle of that, these people that found out that God loved them, that that he 
bought and paid for them on a cross, that they were set free from their sin. He started transforming their hearts. And what it showed up as is love, kindness, mercy, patience, long suffering for people who were not necessarily given that back. And they just kept loving. And that, that created what to call when uh, a contagion. Mm. <laughs> the gospel became a contagion. Wow. Somebody people caught and they wanted to catch. And next thing you know, by the way, God was transforming their hearts. It was affecting the people around them, and they wanted some of that too. Amen. Okay, so we organized it all into a religion, <laughs> and then uh, us Americans turned it into a business, mm. and uh, we tend to quantify success differently. Well, here's the good news. It is God that saves people, not us. But what he wants us to be is representing the heart of the story. And so when we come to work, it's not that we're inviting people to work or we're putting verses up on our cubicle and we're saying, God bless you, or I'll pray for you and all that stuff, having little Bible studies at work at lunch. If you want to do that, that's fine. But the other Christians, but the main thing we do is we care. We deeply care about the people we work with from the guy that owns it or the, the man or woman that, that is our boss to the most obscure person in that that's what will excite them about then I think God could naturally lead that to chances for us to tell people where they came from. Because I know about, I, I think I know you enough, even though I've known you very briefly here, to know that if somebody noticed something uniquely kind and merciful and long-suffering about you, they say, you're just that by nature. You'd be very quick. Say, no, yeah, right. I'm not. <laughs> no, no. I'm just as capable as everybody else of getting it wrong, being utterly selfish, and and making trying to get ahead at your expense anytime I want to, but something changed me. <laughs> Some person changed me, and you get a chance then. Wow. Well, and I think that really emphasizes the importance of us living in that peace in order yeah. to to live yeah. out that peace. I think sometimes we we can give into our anxiety or our fears and say, you know, I can't help it or or yeah. whatever, and and miss the global impact. The eternal impact. And, and, and to take the fear, you know, that, that statement that you quoted was to take a lot of pressure off of people. Because I think a lot of Christians think because of the way we've been taught, our job is to go to work and be salt and light in very specific ways. And that means talking about the Bible, having a Bible study. You know, let me use a, a vernacular none of us would agree to, but what it turns out is jamming Jesus down everybody's face. Mm. Well, none of us would say we wanted to do that, but that's kind of what the prevailing. Well, no, you don't have to do that. But what he has called us to do, the cool thing about what he has called us to do and loving people and caring for people, even people are very hard to love and care for, is that there's something really huge in it for us. And that work that might not be very fun to do or whatever, and people that are not necessarily very much fun to work with suddenly become, a, it's, it changes the whole atmosphere of it. And you start to realize God's, a, God's actually using me. Mm. And anytime I get to be used by God, there's something far more in it for me <laughs> than even for the people on the receiving end. Because I get to walk closer with him. Isn't it Amen. amazing that we, get front, that we get front row seats to God's majesty? And, <laughs> and we seriously, Lord, you're letting me that close? <laughs> he said, yeah. Yeah, come along. 
That's awesome. Well, how can living in that grace and that realization and and really bringing God's grace into our interactions, how does that help decrease our anxiety and increase our peace? Maybe even just in terms of our, you know, how we relate to people. What do you do when your world is falling apart? How do you march when it would be easier to stay where you are and die? Join me every week on the March or Die podcast, and we'll discuss that and so much more. What I think we're dealing with when it comes to the higher rise of fear and anxiety in our culture is a combination of things. Obviously, we are being bombarded with far more uh, news that could make us anxious than ever before. Uh, when, I, when I was a kid, if I wanted to learn the news, I, I listened at six o'clock or 10 o'clock at night. Now it's constant. And when it comes to how the news is portrayed, nothing's changed. Bad news keeps people's attention better than good news. If it bleeds, it leads. And so we're just constantly hearing this stuff. And then social media has brought a whole new element into our world that we cannot compete with. And that's this poison pill of comparison, that no matter what is out there, we always fall short of that. So that gives us anxiousness. But I think there's a bigger thing. And I'm going to use some broad brush stuff here to obviously there are exceptions. But I think we have moved far more into a generation of people that allows their thinking to do the bulk. Uh, excuse me, allows their feelings to do the lion's share of their thinking. Yes, yes. Okay, now, and, and this, is a, this is probably a reaction. My generation, you're younger than me, you're a generation younger than me, but my generation is, I think, the culprit uh, for starting the, the kind of the struggle we have because it was raised by Stoics, people that came through the Great Depression and World War II, and they could not allow their feelings to play much of a role. Otherwise, they would just go out and kill themselves. It was just so bad. And so they, they said, you know, cowgirl up, get over this stuff. You know, you, you got to whatever. Well, but they were not used to saying, I love you. My parents are very affectionate people. I'm very fortunate in that, but a lot of people weren't. So we're going to fix that. My generation came along. Oh, we're going to say you love no, all, no matter what and and be very affectionate and give you trophies for coming in last and all that junk. Well, now we I think we we went from being a pretty resilient type of people to being much more caring, but fragile, much more empathetic, but once again, fragile. And so when you let your emotions do your thinking for you, you're going to have a lot of fear and anxiety. Now, I'm going to, I want to say something here. I want to say this carefully and kindly, but I try and help people as much as I can to see. First of all, would you agree that a lot of people do their thinking with their emotions? Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. But here's something I think if we all understood this, we'd be in a better position to try and deal with it. And that is, we should never, ever, ever do our thinking with our emotions. And here's the logical reason why. Because emotions have no capacity to think. They can only feel. And they're free agents, so they can feel any way they want. They can give you wrong readings that don't make any sense. Emotions play a vital role. They are the exhaust system of our soul. The laughter, the tears, they, they, they balance things out. But when it comes time to think, we should do our thinking with the cognitive side of our brain that uses the truth, the facts, logic, common sense. Well, if we've not been trained to do that or encouraged to do that, in fact, encouraged to do just the other, then all bets are off. But for you and me, I think the more we can step 
back from our fears and our anxieties and put them a little more in context and say, okay, there's no doubt that this is really getting the best of me. But in the big picture, if outsiders were looking in, trying to weigh this, is this as bad as I think it is? Is this as frightening as it really is? I don't think I'm helping anybody here. I, there's medicines that help you a lot better than I'm helping you right now. But, <laughs> but the point is, I, I just think we we let emotions own too much of the high ground. Well, you know, and that, that reminds me too of when you talked about, this was really interesting to me, you named our unmet expectations or unrealistic expectations. You called them a villain. And that mm-hmm. really got my attention. And so how do those unmet expectations play into our interactions, our anxiety, our, our stress that we carry? Well, well, guess what? Unrealistic expectations lead to anger almost every time. Expectations, we just got to keep them for what they are. When my expectations are blocked, I have to stop and ask myself a question. Were my expectations reasonable? Oh, by the way, I think sometimes they are. I think it is reasonable to expect the people you work with or for to treat you with respect, to notice your contribution. I think that's reasonable. But what if they don't? Well, then I've got to sit back and say, okay, my expectation. Well, first of all, if it was unreasonable, then I can just say that's my fault. Can't expect my husband to come home and sweep me off my feet or my wife to come home and suddenly be real romantic. That was just a delusion in my head. But at work, if it was unreasonable, I'd check it. But if it was reasonable, I'd say, okay, now what am I going to do? Hmm. Am I going to get bitter? Am I going to get even? And I'm going to just add this to the other chips on my shoulder and carry that that weight around? Or am I going to turn to some of the advice I get in the Bible? It's 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 a wise thing to not carry, not remember all the offenses against you. I'm paraphrasing the Proverbs. Look past the person and say, in spite of that, I'm going to care for this person. But do you know what I find? These things are easy to do when you practice them. It's like mm-hmm. anything. You know, but if I go to work and I'm just continuously wanting it to jump through my hoops, it's going to let me down. Yeah. And you talk about, too, which that that made me think about you talked about our unrealistic expectations of finding our significance, our purpose, our value in our work. How much of that, how much of our anxiety just stems from us seeking from work what we won't what we may not receive? Yeah. Look at how many people have been. I mean, graduation commencement speakers are notorious for saying, you need to go out and find something you you really love. You need to find work that builds so much into you. Well, that is such a convenient Western piece of advice. Mm. The bulk of the people in the world don't have any choice over what they do for a living. And a lot of what they do for a living is absolutely tedious, monotonous, and sometimes very physically and emotionally hard. And yet it doesn't seem to bother them as much as the jobs that I think could be fulfilling to us. Why? Because they didn't expect them to be fulfilling. They didn't go into it saying, this job has to make me happy. But I think there, I think we've been taught that you should find a job that you get, get, gives you a lot of joy, gives you a lot of happiness, and a lot of fulfillment. And I think the problem is in that's a myth. Now, all that said, you probably read this in the book too. Maybe from the beginning, God's goal was not so much for your job to bring meaning and purpose to you, but for you to bring meaning, purpose, and joy to it. Say that again. I think that was that's really good. Okay. Maybe from the beginning, God's idea was not for your job to bring meaning and purpose and joy to you, but for you to bring meaning and purpose and joy to it. 
See, when I come representing him and how I view people, how I view work, work doesn't have to make me happy. Work doesn't have to fulfill me, but I'm grateful that I have work and it provides a paycheck for me to do the other things God's called me to do. And it does allow me to engage with these people who need somebody to love them, to be kind to them, to actually, uh, I like to call it, give them a little bite of the happy pie through me, through you. And that gives me great sense of purpose, even though I might be doing a job that's, I mean, I'm sure you could go back through and people listening, if we all could just get on a chat room and say, well, what are some of the crazy things you had to do to make a living as you were coming up through? I mean, they're just some hideous, vile, hardworking things that I had to do, that you had to do. That's why I went off to college. I said, I'm going to get an education so that I don't have to do this because, uh, uh, it, some of the stuff was so physically hard for me to do, wow. but I did them. Yeah. You know, I think about, I often, I've had, felt like God asked me before, just in my past, would you be a Joseph? And he was in the dungeon of Egypt, bringing light to a really dark, dark environment. And that you talk about how, you know, thinking of Joseph and thinking of our challenging work environments, experiences, you suggested that our loving reactions create a chain reaction. And so what do you mean by that? Well, I think this is going back, alluding to that first century, second century impact of the gospel on some very confused and selfishly driven people that it's hard. It is hard to miss the impact of love that you have coming towards you that you know you don't deserve. Wow. I, I wrote in another book, I wrote a book on the high cost of high control. And I told a story. That, Maybe you should uh, come back and talk, but that was, that'd be a good topic too, but go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- there used to be a radio announcer named Paul Harvey. I remember he, him. He, yes. Remember him. Yeah. He would do these little vignettes and he told a story about a, a rabbi that lived in this town. And there was a man who was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. And he was just, he, he had a platform. He was very verbal and, and he, he just put out such vicious things against Jews and people of, darker races in his town. And just, and he was a, he, it was, he spewed and, and it was just awful. Well, this rabbi, obviously it, it hurt so much the things he said, and it was frightening because this guy, the way he yeah. framed everything, you just think, man, alive. If this guy knew me, I, I don't, I'd fear for my life. But this rabbi said, yep, yeah, but God has called us to love people. And so he did some research. And he found out this guy was a double amputee. And he started reaching out to him. He would call his home. And the guy, of course, just hung up on him. Hung, and he, little by little, the, the conversation would get longer, but the guy would spew all this hatred towards him. But, but, but he just kept calling back, calling back. And he says, look, is there any way I could help you? Can I go get you some groceries? Can I run some errands for you? Little by little by little by little. And sure enough, that consistent love towards a man that was ab- absolutely so hard to love, as unlovable as you could get and frightening to boot, melted his heart. They became deep friends, and that guy abandoned the vitriol and hatred that he embraced as a member of the Ku Klux Klan. He was transformed by love. Wow. And, and obviously, we don't have to work with people like that. But <laughs> there's guy. people. Yeah, mm-hmm. but there's some people out there that have some deep issues. And by the way, I, I think that, you know, it's easy to be in a reactive mood mode to people that just do really rough things towards us. But I worked with young people, you know, for a long, long time. And and you see some kid that comes to church, a gigantic chip on his shoulder, and he, he's going to focus it all on you and take it out on you. And a good piece of advice, hey guys, look, you could see this kid is having a lot of problems, or you could see this kid is having some serious, unfulfilled needs. Mm. And if you can identify what those are, and then start to meet those needs, 
things change. And in the book, we, we look at three driving needs that everybody that we work with has, every one of them. And to the degree that we can use our words and actions to meet them on an ongoing basis, boom, mm-hmm. love becomes contagious. Wow. Well, you also emphasize in the book, too, the importance of our relationship with Christ. Well, some of the key people in God's Hall of Fame struggle with some deep anxiety and fear. Elijah is a good example. I mean, you know, and he took on the prophets of Baal up there. And I mean, it, it's a clever story. When you read it, you just say, oh, man, he just he he just so annihilated the idolatrous leadership and Ahab and everything. Then Jezebel says, you are a dead man. I'm going to find you and I'm going to kill you. And he goes running and for his life. But what's interesting is where he ran to. He ran to Mount Horeb. Another name for Mount Horeb in the Bible is Mount Sinai. Wow. He ran out to the middle of nowhere, but he ran to the place where Israel had its first major encounter with God in person. He wanted to go to him. And I think that's what you're saying there, Jennifer, is so important that, that we can, we're humans and we have limits and we can get scared and we can get anxious. But to the degree that I can turn to God, it, it, it's interesting. So you took all the pieces of advice in the Bible and you categorized. You can do that now a lot easier with yeah. you know, uh, the computers than you could with the books when I was learning. But if I don't know if you know this, but do you know the thing that God said more than anything else in the Bible? You know, yeah, I've, I've don't heard, be yeah. afraid. Don't yeah. be afraid. Mm-hmm. My favorite nickname of Jesus is the one he gave himself in the book of Revelation. Starting off. So, okay, John, write this down. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And so we, oh, okay, that was the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. would be like, I'm the A to Z. Well, what was he saying there? He's, I love what he, here's what he's basically saying. Write this down, John. I'm the God who had the first word, and I'm the one who's going to have the last one. Amen. And I've got everything under control in between them. Trust me. And it's in that trust that we can take those fears. I mean, there's people out there afraid right now they're going to lose their job. Yeah. And then there's people out there that quit their job in this great resignation that we're in right now. And they're not sure where they want to go back to work, where they want to go back to work. So all these things play into, but what's what the one thing that, you know, I can count on the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he gave us the book of Revelation to give us it. He says, here's the last chapter. Here's how it all comes down. We win. You're safe. Trust me. And, yeah. and, and, and in that, but, but I do think, I think we kid ourselves if we're not deliberate about that. You know, that if we only turn to them in anxiety, uh, it's probably not going to last long. I, I think it's much like a good love story in a marriage. My observation, I, I, my wife and I wrote a book called Grace-Filled Marriage. And one of the observations we, we noticed is that the, the missing ingredient in most marriages isn't love, it's grace. Mm. Because, because without grace, the love gets all beaten up wow. and worn out and bored and everything else. And what I find that makes a stronger marriage is that if we keep in our minds, we're supposed to be writing a love story here. And the best way to write a good love story is to maintain heart pursuit of that other person, whether they pursue it in return is not the point. You say heart pursuit. And how long do we maintain this heart pursuit? To one of us takes our last breath. Mm. That's how you write a love story. Well, in the same way, we need to maintain heart pursuit of Jesus. Amen. And I just don't think that could be done if we're not making a, a deliberate effort to spend time with him and his word. And I don't want to get legalistic here, but just 
praying, talking with him. There was an old country song, the first thing every morning and the last thing every night. You know, he was talking about love story. I think of you and all the things you say and do. Well, I want that to be Jesus. Amen. For me. Amen. And then secondly, Darcy. <laughs> oh, your wife. Yes, 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 yes. Darcy, <laughs> yeah. my wife, my wife. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Well, I think that's actually a great place to end our discussion yeah. is just let's pursue Jesus and his heart and his will and his grace for us and his grace for others. And again, I want to remind you of his book, which I will put in the show notes as well. But his book is Grace at Work, The Secret to Getting More from Your Job Than a Paycheck. Well, Dr. Camel, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us and and just having this conversation. Thank you. Good to be with you. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already done so, I would encourage you to subscribe to this podcast and then you won't miss a single episode and make sure to rate it. That helps others to find it and it encourages our team as well. Until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Faith Over Fear is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Feeling stressed? Let's take better care of you. I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less Podcast. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.